Hello and welcome to Under the Skin from Luminary. This week I spoke with Jonathan Haidt. Jonathan Haidt is bloody brilliant. He's an American social psychologist and professor. He's author of The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics. He's got a couple of things that you might really like, guys. Uh, go to openmindplatforms.org, which teaches groups how to get along better despite political differences. Go to heterodoxacademy.org, which advocates for viewpoint diversity and open inquiry at universities. I had a wonderful conversation with him, but the bit I'm most keen, uh, most keen to share with you is this bit what bit jen do you want the bit about protesters being right about something go on then include that this and is elites he goes on talks about the mayor let's talk about protesters let's talk about elites what do you mean meritocratic elites yeah. the, the uh, exam passing class mm, and that they don't care it. about the working class this is what kind of content you get on luminary intelligent discussions challenging viewpoints respectfully undertaken and examined you can listen to more episodes of Under the Skin from Luminary, only on Luminary, a subscription podcast network with original shows from your favourite creators, including me and Jenny, if you consider what she does to be creative rather than disruptive and destructive in some cases when it, she gave away my email, for example, <laughs> on the show. It didn't make Christmas very good. I felt bad. What about the fluffy thing? What was that? My even? sister was there and what? walked in and I don't know what she did. I remember editing it. I remember si I know where I was sitting and everything. Well, editing's not about remembering where you're sitting. <laughs> I know. It's about the removal of inappropriate content. I was, foc I was content. focusing. <laughs> There's a cut point really close to it in the email. What, there was it? A cut, a cut point. point really close to it. Well, I mean, I suppose I should be happy about that. <laughs> you can get a subscription for Luminary for as little as $2.99 a month with their annual plan, plus a seven-day free trial to get started. Please do visit luminarypodcast.com to start your free trial. You will learn from it. There's some wonderful contributors, some great interviews, and I'm only talking about my podcast, Under the Skin, let alone all the fantastic content from other brilliant creators. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not no, a successful route. Yes, that's, that's, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? And welcome to Russell Brand Under the Skin. When you said the thing about the, like, the rigged voting machines and the more complex uh, and largely regarded as unfounded assertions that are cited as motivation for the capital uh, insurrection there. Um, what I feel, Jonathan, is regardless of regardless of what they present, and I say they, regardless of what people that are protesting present as the reasons, and this happened and that happened and that, you know, there is some legitimacy to what they are saying. Like, like what if they were to say, look, we voted for Trump and like he sort of somehow emotionally seems to vibrate on something on the level that we uh, like understand in spite of the fact that in terms of policy, there's very little to aid the sort of ordinary Americans lives. You know, like you couldn't point to that many things, I'm sure. And uh, but in electing Biden, we have brought to power a person who's you know going to appoint that dude who's like works for the arms industry to work in defence. He's accepted all this lobbying money, so we feel very frustrated that democracy is deracinated from the interests of ordinary Americans. Now, like the fact that they 
that this is not the way that the argument is articulated and it much more got the inflections of QAnon and, and anti-migration shouldn't, I don't think, undermine the legitimacy of the emotion. And in fact, if you focus on the sort of the more baroque and absurd claims, then it it uh, releases us from the important question, what do we do about the fact that there is no new idea about how to organise a more fair, just society that isn't simply propagating the interests of the powerful and maintaining those interests? Yeah. So I would agree that uh, populist rebellions are usually right about something. In fact, you know, something I say to my students is, um, you know, not everybody is right. And there are some people who are truly bad. Uh, and if it's one person who believes something bizarre, there might be a mental illness issue. But if millions of people believe something, then they're almost surely right about something. Maybe not in the main thing they say, uh, but they're not mentally ill. And, uh, and, and they're usually right about something. In fact, this dictum is really, really helpful in marriage, in everything. You know, if your spouse is mad at you for something and you're sure that she's wrong, well, she's probably right about something, even if she's not, even if you can prove she's wrong about one, one thing. Um, and so, uh, so I think we, you know, we have to ask why, how did Trump uh, get elected despite his obvious incapacities and, and problems, because as you say, he rode this wave. He he was able to articulate this, you know, the uh, you know the, the the contempt that the elite have for the working class. Uh, certainly in, in my country, um, the elite, and I think this would be true in the UK, is to a large extent the exam passing class. The elite since the '60s in both of our countries is based in large part on how well you did on an exam. So before then it was based on who your father was. And that obviously is, is awful from a democratic perspective, but at least there were elites uh, that were quite noble, that had a sense of noblesse oblige, that went into government service. Um, so at least aristocracies, and you have a lot more, you know, your country has a lot more experience than mine, but we- How dare you? <laughs> Um, at least aristocracies had certain virtues that they aimed for. And um, I might be romanticizing things, but... I think so. I think that those ideals functioned in the same way that sort of corporate language masks their agenda. I think, I sense that, just because of the the way that aristocracies behaved, although there is a degree of romanticism that I cannot help but find. You know, I've been subject to so many royal weddings over the years that I'm somewhat affected. Okay, but... But when our countries move to using exams to decide who goes to the top schools, and then the top schools increasingly determine who is successful, not in every industry, in business, it does, you don't have to have gone to a top school, but you know, in journalism, I mean, journalism used to be like working class guys who would you know, be hard-nosed investigators smoking a cigar. And now they pretty much all went to an Ivy League school or Middlebury College or Haverford or some you know, elite, preps, uh, elite uh, liberal arts college. Um, so our elites now are the ones who did best on the exams. And, and here I'm drawing from the columnist Ivan Krastev at the New York Times. He wrote this really brilliant column where he pointed out that the problem with this kind of meritocratic elite is that they deeply and truly believe that they earned it. Wow. Hey, I got the top score on the SAT or the A-levels or whatever it is. I deserve to be here. And therefore, they don't feel an obligation to the, to the working class. So I think uh, part of the reason that That's populism cool. has exploded all over the West and even in India and, and uh, you know, in Brazil and other countries um, is because we have terrible elites. Not that they're bad people, 
but that the elites now really don't feel that connection. And this is in part, I think, why both the labor, you know, the labor party elites, your well-educated labor leaders and our well-educated Democrats have you know, they've just lost connection to the to the, the working class, certainly the white working class. That's spot on that. That, that. that really resonates and makes sense that there is no emotional or, yeah, as you, or romantic connection or lived connection to this is what is important. And I can see how I've had to kind of uh, necessarily for my own survival unpick the idea of my own... Uh, merit or the validity of my own success not from a like there is some sort of aspects of the philosophy the 12-step philosophy that I sort of um, credit with saving my life I suppose yeah put plainly um, like that is a quite because it, it's derived most latterly culturally from Christianity there's quite a lot of well you guys was alcoholics and you should be dead in the gutter <laughs> there's like some of that stuff it's written in the 1930s it's all got that kind of stuff about it but because there is this embrace of divinity alongside the rather protestant punishing you know vengeful father stuff that's sort of at its patriarchal heart it you know and because of the jungian influence like where jung said like jung categorically said that the only way that a, an alcoholic or addict will overcome this uh, condition is through some kind of religious experience, some religious transformation and the ongoing support of a community. I feel that what's powerful about the 12 Steps is that they might provide a model for personal transformation that might create a kind of the same way as you just indicated that a cultural phenomenon like an exam passing class creates a sort of a, a separation and a sense of entitlement that if a a return to inverted commas spiritual values perhaps particularly if it was through a sort of a secularized model such as the 12 steps could bring about a sufficient number of people that regarded the world differently that regarded indi their, their individual identity as somewhat secondary perhaps in a rather sort of you know atavistic way to the interest and importance of the tribe parish community mm. yeah so let's let, so let's for the let, let's be clear about what this divinity dimension is, because especially for your secular uh, uh, viewers and listeners, uh, you know, it, it may sound kind of weird or, or abstract. And so uh, in chapter nine of the happiness hypothesis, I talk about how social scientists find two universal dimensions of human societies. There's a horizontal dimension of closeness, and you can be close to someone or far from someone. And there's a vertical dimension of rank or hierarchy. Uh, someone can be above you or you can be equal. And languages encode this. So if you speak French, it's two versus vous for both dimensions. You know, you use two for someone who's close to you or below you. Um, and English doesn't do that. Uh, we just say you, but our minds do it. So we found a linguistic trick, which is we'll, if it's up, we address them as, you know, Mr. Smith, but if it's down, we address them by first name. Okay, so those two dimensions are clear. Everyone understands them. But what I found in studying in studying ancient wisdom, in studying religions, uh, in seeing the similarities across sacred works, is that there is a third dimension. So if you've got like X, Y, and well, Z, the Z dimension, um, people can rise or fall on this without becoming your boss or hierarchical. Uh, and so I, re I, I really came to see this when I spent three months in, uh, in Bhubaneswar, uh, India, in India, on the east coast of India in 1993, um, studying their whole psychology and uh, of purity and pollution. And what I came to see is that uh, Hindus like Muslims and, and to some extent Orthodox Jews 
there's a real conception of divinity of God and you have a relationship with God, but there's a conception that you, that to approach God, you have to purify yourself, you bathe. So in Hindus, there's a lot of bathing. Muslims, before they, you know, they wash the hands, feet, face. Um, so there's this widespread human notion that there is a God, he or it permeates everything, but sometimes we're closer to God, sometimes further. And it's generally, put in in vertical terms. Uh, and so I have a bunch of quotes here in the happiness hypothesis. Uh, I'll just uh, say, oh yeah, like Ralph Waldo Emerson. So you're not coming from a religious perspective. He says, he who does a good deed is instantly ennobled. He who does a mean deed, mean or base, is by that action itself contracted. He who puts off impurity thereby puts on purity. Um, if a man is at heart just, then insofar is he God. Um, okay, all right, that one didn't have explicitly vertical metaphors, but it's the idea of a dynamic, our lives are dynamic, and we do things, we think things, and as we do that, we rise or fall, and so the angels are above us, the, uh, the angels are sort of like human, but above us, and here are humans, and then below us, well, all the way down is the devil or demons, but a monster is human, but less than human, more on the, on the demonic side. And so especially boundary crossers, are they really freak us out. Um, but that, but the, the cool thing for me was that the human mind does this all over the world and most religions really incorporate it. But even you know, me as a secular person, I felt it. Um, I, you know, and I didn't really have a name for it until I spent time in India. And, and when, when did you feel it? Um, I felt, well, so I realized that there were certain things that I, objects that I treated with a reverence for the physical thing, like, you know, some books that were just so enlightening. I just love them. And I, you know, I would, you know, like the physical book would be, I I'd treat better or, or, you know, L, uh, record albums, LPs, um, you know, like, uh, like, um, uh, um, Oh my God, the Rolling Stones, 1980 or so, uh, Tattoo You. Uh, the second side of Tattoo You uh, is just the most gorgeous thing. And I have a reverence for it. Um, but also having a sense that I, of just seeing things as just sort of elevated or degraded. Like you see, okay, so like by the time in the 90s, there was all this reality TV in which they would have generally poor or uneducated people you know, yelling and screaming at each other over infidelity and, and hitting each other with chairs. And it was very entertaining and really degrading. So I had a language for that now, that certain experiences lift me up and others just, even though they're pleasurable in a way, they bring you down. If you're enjoying this conversation, join me over at Luminary for the rest of our discussion and for all the latest episodes of Under the Skin. Go to luminarypodcast.com to start your free trial. I really hope I'll see you there. Thank you. <laughs>